Awesome. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when everything goes wrong? That's the question we're trying to answer in this six-week series at Journey Church International called Shipwrecked. What do you do when everything goes wrong? Or if life has gone wrong and it's already messed up, how do you put the pieces back together? Perhaps this is your life today. Perhaps you walked in today and you had some grand scheme for your life that is over. And, and it didn't work, and it's not working, and it's never going to work, and you're trying to figure out what's next. Or maybe you came in today, and you had one vision for your life, but, but the, like on a plane that has a little turbulence, the path of your life is starting to just shake a little bit, and you're wondering, God, is something new coming? What do you do when your life gets ready to go through a storm? What do you do when your life is going through a storm? What do you do when your life is through the storm and now you're just abandoned on some island all by yourself. We're talking about life in the storm and not only how to make it through, but how to make it through with great, great hope. And just a quick review of everything we've said in the last two weeks. Here's what you need to know just starting off. Maybe you don't need to hear anything else today, but you need to hear this. God always shows up in the midst of the storm. If you haven't already, take those notes out of your uh, bulletin so that you can follow along and write that down. God always shows up in the midst of the storm. He did for Noah. He did for Jonah. He did for Jesus and his disciples. He did for the Apostle Paul, and he will for you. God will show up in the midst of your storm. The question is, will you see him, and will you gravitate towards him? Because we said two weeks ago as we started this series, you have to be willing to stop if you're going to drop an anchor onto God. You have to be able to stop your life where it is. You have to be able to stop to get perspective. You have to be able to stop to catch your breath. You have to be able to pause for at least a spiritual second to figure out which end is up and how you're going to connect to God. And some of you are here today and you say, Christian, I would love to do that, but I cannot stop my life right now. Uh, I'm unwilling with everything that I've got going on, with everything that I'm doing, with everything I'm trying to do to guide my ship through this storm, um, I am unwilling right now to kind of stop and let God guide me. Okay, some of you are saying, no, I'm more than willing, but I'm not able. I actually, after church, I've got to go to an appointment. My alarm's going to go off in the morning. I'm going to get up and go to work. I would love to stop and just pause spiritually, but I, I don't have time. Well, today, I'm going to ask you, even if you don't have time outside of this place, I'm going to ask you if you can today to just pause spiritually. And as we pause spiritually, I want you to look into Acts chapter 21 and 22 with me. And I want you to see what Jesus has to say about life in the storm and how we're going to make it through life in the storm. So here's what I want you to do. Before you open your Bibles, I want you to sit up straight. And I just like the doctor says, I just want you to take a deep breath. Deep in, deep out. Just a deep breath. Isn't it funny how seldom we do that? Some of you, that was the first deep breath you've taken this week. I mean, like since last Sunday, you haven't stopped and went, because life moves so fast. And spiritual life moves so fast. And today, I just want you just to pause spiritually and stop, because I think if we can stop for a moment to see what happened in Acts 21 and 22, we can, re we can regain some spiritual control of connecting to Jesus in a way that transforms our life. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle. They've got Bibles that you can use. Every Sunday we're going to open the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible at our church. Um, 
loaded up on your phone, loaded up on your tablet. But if you need a Bible, just wave at our ushers. We're actually going to read quite a bit today. And if you don't have a Bible at home, put your name in this one and keep it. We've given away more than a thousand Bibles since our church began just like this because we want people to have a Bible. So if you need one, wave at the ushers. If you're just using it for today, put it on the table when you leave. Um, If you want to keep it, put your name in it. It's yours. Um, Start reading it and let us know if you have questions. We would love to start a Bible journey with you. Because what we're going to see in Acts chapter 21 is we're going to see four four key principles to surviving life in the storm. But all these things happen within the pause. All these things will only happen, not if we tap the brakes, but if we put on the brakes. All these things will happen in a moment of stopping if we can do that spiritually. So what do we need to do to gain a little spiritual control in a life of chaos? Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to stop to speak. And you're going to see the Apostle Paul in the midst of his storm that we have entered in Acts chapter 21. You're going to see that at the very onset of this spiritual storm, he stops to speak truth to himself. He stops to just get a bearing of where he is. He stops to remind himself of who he is, who God is, how he got to where he is. He just stops to kind of take control of the situation. And the first thing you need to do if you're living through a spiritual storm or if you've come through a spiritual storm is you need to stop to speak. You need to speak some truth to yourself and just reset the story spiritually a little bit. In Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul has been arrested. He's been away from four years on a mission trip. He's come back from that mission trip with hundreds of thousands of dollars in offering to give to the church, but they're angry at him because he taught people that they didn't have to be exactly like all the Jews in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple, an uproar happens. They're beating him to death And he is rescued by the Romans who arrest him. They're taking him to jail. We enter the story. And before things get totally out of control, Paul says, stop. Let me speak. That's where we pick up in Acts 21, verse 37. It says, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? The commander replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew. From Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and he motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up into this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them and their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul, as a prisoner in Jerusalem, being punished, says, Time out. Let me reset this scenario because I actually was on a journey about 25 years ago to do this, to bring people like me back to this place, to be put in these handcuffs, to be punished like you want to do to me. So let me stop and speak some truth into the story and just reset what's going on so we can all understand what's going on. Now, why is it important to speak truth into Maybe the chaos in your life right now. You know why it's important to speak truth? Because there are so many voices coming from so, diff- so many different angles that sometimes we can lose sight of what truth is 
and we listen instead of speaking, and we just let someone else's opinion, we let us someone else's emotion, we let someone else's advice, we let someone else's spiritual experience guide us instead of stopping and saying, wait a minute, let me just speak some truth into this situation. As a matter of fact, in Acts 21.34, the situation Paul was in was described this way. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some people shouted another. Nobody knew what was going on, they were all just talking. The Jews were saying, arrest this guy, he's a Greek, he shouldn't be in our temple. The commander said, arrest that guy, he's from Egypt and he's a terrorist. And Paul's like, dude, I ain't either one of, like, no one knew what was going on. So Paul said, time out. Let me speak some truth into the situation. Now, I don't know what you were doing on Monday, but Monday I had a ministry emergency. So I called all the staff over to my house and I said, guys, I'm going to need you all to be at my house from about 12 to 3.30 because we're going to have to watch your worlds together. Um, because, I, you know, if I'm watching and you're working at the office, I'll feel bad. So all the staff has to take the day off. So I made all the staff come to my house and watch the worlds game. And it was a spiritual experience in the eighth inning. I don't know if you watched that game against Houston at Houston, but in the eighth inning, man, the Red Sea parted. Um, Moses struck the, the mound. I mean, it was like, it, it was awesome, right? And the Royals came back, and it was great. And we were running. It was just an awesome game to watch as a fan and be a part of. The next day, I'm at Christian's football game, and I'm talking to one of the moms on the track. And I said, did you see the game yesterday? And she started laughing. She said, yeah, they had it on. Um, it worked, but it was, it was kind of crazy. I said, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, well, they had it on at work, and she said it was, it was on all the TVs, but they didn't have um, the sound on because they wanted to listen to it um, on radio instead. So they said, you know, the TV was, the, the game was on the TV, but we were listening to it on radio, and they kept saying, turn the radio up, we can't hear it. So she said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just watching the game a little bit, but I'm listening to it on radio. And she said, on radio, they sounded so down, and everything was going wrong, and they kept saying we were losing. I kept peeking at the TV, and it looked like things were good, but the radio guys were saying, you know, TV, it looked like we hit a home run, and they were like, strike out. And she was like, what is going on? She said, find out the guy who was listening to the radio was listening to the Cardinals game. So the radio was broadcasting the Cardinals-Cubs game. The TV was on the Royals game. And she was like, nobody knew what was going on because we were listening to one. We were watching one. We were like, wait a minute. Like, what is happening? What, What game is actually going on right now? And we laugh about that, about a baseball game. But that's the reality of life in the storm. We get one piece of truth from here. We get one piece of truth from here. What we see doesn't match up with how we feel. What we've been taught through Scripture doesn't match up with what we feel like the, our spirit is saying to us. And like we've got this, all this communication coming into our head. And sadly, there's a lot of error being mixed into the truth of what God would want you to hear, what God would want you to believe. So we have to stop. And we have to speak truth. Because the Bible says about the devil in John 8, 44... That he's speaking lies. And in every situation, he is, he is the, even if the game on your screen shows that you're winning, the voice of the devil in your head says that you're losing. Jesus said about the devil in John 8, 44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. So one of the most theologically silly statements that I've ever heard made is the devil made me do it. The devil cannot make you do anything. However, one of the most theological sound statements ever made is the devil made me think it. It's actually accurate biblically. 
To say that, to believe that, to know that is powerful in the midst of a storm when you have to stop to speak because you have to be able to understand in your head, I'm thinking a lot of negative thoughts about where God is and what God's doing. I'm thinking a lot of negative thoughts about my church. I'm thinking a lot of negative thoughts about my future. I'm thinking a lot of negative thoughts about the sacrifice I've made for Jesus. I'm thinking a lot of negative thoughts. We've got to stop and realize the devil can make you think stuff that you shouldn't think. Second Corinthians 10.5 says it this way. We have to demolish arguments. In every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we got to stop sometimes and speak truth into the situation. And sometimes we have to talk ourselves through the truth of a situation so that we can anchor on God. Because until we ask the hard questions and have some difficult conversations with ourselves, sometimes it's hard to hang on to God tightly. So let me ask you, what storm are you going through right now? And let's answer this question, why? Now, there may not be a good answer. I mean, as you talk through it in your life, you may say that there is, there's no good answer right now. This is one of those things I'm not going to understand until I get to heaven. Okay, talk that out though. What are you going through and why? How did you get where you are? Was it really God's fault for those of you who felt that God has abandoned you? Has he really abandoned you? Has that really happened? Is God really to blame? Did he, did he really let you down? Did he not hold up his end of the bargain somewhere? Did God really just disappear on you? Or maybe it feels that way because you've kind of turned your back on where you can see him. Have you just lost sight of him and you perceive that he has left you? And can we add what Paul added? And this, this is difficult. I don't say this to kind of punch anyone in the gut spiritually. But as you speak truth to yourself, you can't leave out where you might have gone wrong. The Apostle Paul stops to speak and he says, listen, listen, listen to me. Here's what's going on. But Paul said, here's some poor decisions that I made that kind of put me in this situation. Now, he didn't condemn himself, but he was honest. Paul said, if I could go back and do it again, I'd probably do it differently. And yeah, I wish God would have stepped in and rescued me. And I wish I wouldn't have had that consequence. And I, you know, I wish God would have shown up a little sooner. But man, if I were to be real honest, I look at the situation that I'm in and I could have done something a little bit differently on the front end a year ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So I kind of started myself down a tough path. That's what Paul said. I went out to do this. And gosh, karma, look at where I am now. You see, if we will stop to speak the reality of where we are, if we will stop to speak the reality of how we got there and process the truth of our reality rather than just the fear and the panic and the negativity of our current reality, then number two will begin to happen in our life. If we will stop to speak, I believe then we can stop to listen. But we've got to speak truth to ourselves before we reset ourselves to listen to God. Look at verses 6 through 9. It says, About noon as I came near Damascus... Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Now, here is a spiritual problem that demands some spiritual focus. And I just want to say that up front because I believe a lot of us, most of us, all of us, hopefully, will begin taking this journey. Many Christians have not been trained to hear the voice of God. As a matter of fact, if I, you know, when you hear someone say, God spoke to me, you think, that's weird. Okay, you, like, you mark that person. That, that's a weird person, somebody who God speaks to. Because God's never 
spoken to you. The reality is God's speaking to you all the time. Some of you just don't know how to hear him. And here's what's crazy about Acts 22. There's this picture drawn that, is, that, that should like stand out, that should cause us to ask questions. Paul said, I saw the light, then I heard a voice. He said, I, my companions saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. I believe there's a lot of Christians that have seen the light of the gospel. They've seen the light of God's love for them. They've seen the light of God's, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for them. They've, they've seen the light of forgiveness and eternity in heaven. They have seen the light. They've not heard the voice. They understand the big picture, but they're not intimately in a relationship with Jesus. And Paul said, this is a problem when you're looking for spiritual truth and you have a bunch of companions, Christian companions, that have seen the light but haven't heard the voices. Haven't heard the voice, not the voices. That sounds scary. Um, When they've seen the light but they haven't heard the voice, so those people can't give you good advice. When you go to Christians for advice that have seen the light, they understand what Jesus has done for them, but they've never heard God speak to them, probably not going to be great advisors for you and we have churches filled with people that have seen the light of the gospel but god's never really spoken to them now this is not a bad thing it's just a development thing it's just that we haven't been learned to hear the voice of god yet and we learn this in the old testament through the story of samuel samuel was one of israel's greatest judges prophets and high priest samuel trained under a high priest named eli Um, eli was the high priest and then Samuel became the high priest. Samuel anointed Saul, the king of Israel, over Saul. Samuel anointed David. Samuel was David who killed Goliath, his personal spiritual mentor. Samuel was a pretty big deal in Scripture. But Samuel, even though he had seen the light, he didn't know how to hear the voice. He didn't know how to hear from God. So the Bible says Samuel's being trained in the temple. He's sleeping in the temple one day, and God begins to speak to Samuel. So Samuel. And Samuel heard someone speaking to him, and he ran in the other room, and he woke Eli up, and he said, um, Hey, what do you need? And Eli said, what are you talking about? And he said, I heard you call me. And he said, I didn't call you. Go back and go to sleep. So Samuel goes back to his room. He goes to sleep. He lays down and God says, Samuel. Samuel gets up. He goes to Eli, wakes him up. He says, Eli, Eli, what do you need? He said, what are you talking about? He said, I just heard you call for me. And Eli said, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. And then Eli thought, it's possible God's trying to speak to this young man's heart and he doesn't understand it. So he said, Samuel, it could be that God's trying to speak to you. Go back and lay down and go to sleep. If you hear the voice again, if you hear your name again, here's what I want you to say. 1 Samuel 3, 9. Samuel to, Eli told Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back, he lays down, and he hears Samuel. Now, you say, did he hear an audible voice, like out loud, that everyone else probably heard too? I would say no. I mean, the fact that Eli didn't hear it too meant that it was, it was one of those things you hear in your soul, one of those things you hear in your heart. But Samuel had to learn when God was impressing something on his soul how to listen to that because he didn't understand how to hear from God. And I think we have churches filled with Christians because they think it's weird to hear from God that have just, they'd say, I'm comfortable with seeing the light. I don't need to hear from God. You know, technically when I lay down at night, I'd like to fall asleep and not have God start speaking to me. Um, It's been a long day. But if we can't learn to hear from God, if we can't stop to listen, we'll never get through the storms in our life. So what's God saying to you right now about the storm that you're in? And can you learn to hear him so that you can trust him, so that you can follow him? I had a great idea a few months back um, that was a spiritual mistake as the pastor of our church, at least in terms of spiritual development. 
had this great idea that I wanted 100 people in our church to read the Bible through with me next year in, 20, in 2016. Um, Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22. I wanted to find 100 people that would read the Bible all the way through with me. And one of our staff members, Scott Courtney, who leads our family ministry, came to me and he said, I think that's a, um, a great idea, but I don't, I don't think you're doing it at the right time. I said, what do you mean? He said, say we have 100 people um, read the Bible but they don't know how to listen to what God is saying to them in the Bible. Like what, not that that's not good, but wouldn't it be better to train people how to hear from God first and then give them everything God says so that it becomes personal to them rather than just paper knowledge off a book? And I said, absolutely. What, what, tell, tell me what your idea is. So we started researching as a pastoral team, and we came up with this study that we're going to do church-wide in our small groups in January called 40 Days in the Word which is literally a 40-day journey to teach you how to read the Bible and hear from God. It's the whole purpose of it, that every day for 40 days you would hear God speak something to your soul. Our staff and all of our small group leaders are actually starting this December 1st. We'll be done with it before the church rolls out with it the third week of January. But I want you, if you're one of the hundreds of Christians who has seen the light, if you don't really hear from God very much, I want to teach you how to hear from God. Because God is speaking to us if we will stop to listen. And here's the thing. Once we listen, this becomes the dangerous part. Because once we learn to listen and hear what God says, then we have a choice to make. Now that I know exactly what God wants for me, I either get to choose to follow or ignore. Now, if you want to get through the storm in your life, number three, you're going to have to stop your life to follow what Jesus has for you. You're going to have to stop your pursuits in life long enough to follow what Jesus has for you. Look at verse 10. We step back into the narrative. We see the Apostle Paul has stopped to speak. We see he has stopped to listen. And now we see he has the opportunity to follow. I'm going to start in verse 8. This conversation he's having with Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Paul asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light. They didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So he said, verse 10, what shall I do? What shall I do, I ask? Get up, the Lord said. And go into Damascus. There you're going to be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You're going to be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, call on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. I saw the Lord speaking to me quick. He said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing them. Then the Lord said to me, go, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. Now listen, if we will stop to listen, God will speak. And then we have to decide whether or not we're going to follow. And the steps to follow are really, really pretty clear. Number one, God always gives direction. 
now he gives us at a macro level, what is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is to love God passionately, great commandment. God's will for your life is to help people understand who Jesus is, great commission. God's will for your life is to be aware of and help hurting people, great compassion. I mean, the, the macro level of God's will for your life, that direction is very clear. But God also gives micro direction. What would God's will for your marriage be? Well, tell me about it, and I'll help you understand what God says. What would God's will be for my finances? Let's talk about that, and I can tell you what God says. What would God's will be for my parenting and my kids? Let's talk about that. I can help you with that. See, Scripture holds, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, every truth you need for life, every direction you need for your life, if you will stop to listen and stop to follow. So God always gives direction, but then God always sends companions. God sent Ananias to help Saul, who would later be renamed Saul, understand his plan for his life. So God always makes sure as we go through the storms, we don't have to go alone. But here's the problem. The two things that God wants to provide, we miss the most when we're going through our storms. One, most of us can't hear or understand the direction that God is giving us. Or we're not willing to follow it. And two, most of us aren't willing to accept the spiritual companionship God has provided. So we find ourselves in two places. We're stressed and we're alone. The only thing worse than living a life filled with anxiety is is living a life filled with anxiety and being totally alone. And here's kind of the spiritual tension that presents. All of us need solitude in order to hear from God. You say, what does that mean? That means sometimes we have to get away from life. We have to get away from relationships. We have to step back a little bit in order to really hear from God. But when solitude, when a season of solitude becomes a lifetime of isolation, man, you find yourself in trouble spiritually. So I ask you this question. Are you in a season of solitude or a lifetime of isolation right now? Because there are some people in our church, in other churches, in your life who have gone through a difficult storm and they said, you know what, I just need to pull back for a time. They've gone through their marriage falling apart and they said, I need to pull back for a little bit. They've lost their job and they said, I need to pull back for a little bit. They've gone through discouragement or depression or addiction and they said, I just need to pull back for a little bit. They've gone through their their children kind of being off the rails spiritually and they said, we need to pull back for a little bit. They've gone through a job loss or a financial crisis and said, I just need to pull back for a little bit. They've gone through some conflict in a a small group or in a ministry they serve and they say, I need to pull back for a little bit. And that little bit becomes a lot of it. And you find yourself looking at Moses who became the Israelites. Moses was called to spend 40 days on the mountain with God. And Moses went up to spend 40 days on the mountain with God, a time of solitude that created a worry and an emptiness in the people of Israel that ultimately saw them spend 40 years alone in the wilderness. And folks, when your 40-day season of solitude becomes 40 years of spiritual isolation, you find yourself in a spiritual wilderness that you don't know how to get back from. And it's funny how many people we find gathered to our church who 20 years ago stepped away for a time of solitude and ended up in a season of isolation. So there's a tension that exists between Hearing from God, spending time with God, but, but not forsaking gathering together, being in church, being in a group, serving in a ministry. You kind of have to work all of those together as you move through your life. So here's what I want you to do. I don't often do this, but I want you to do this. Write, write the date, November 27th, on your sermon notes. November 27th. You say, what's November 27th? Well, it's Black Friday, so it's going to be a fun day. It's the day after Thanksgiving. But let me tell you what it is more importantly. It's 40 days from today. November 27th is 40 days from today. 
end whatever season of isolation and solitude you're in, whether it's been 40 days or 20 years. Some of you are here to watch somebody get baptized today, and you haven't stepped foot in a church in 30 years. End that 30 years, November 27th. And on Thanksgiving Sunday, start again. Because you cannot win in isolation. You cannot have hope in isolation. You were not meant for God to rescue you for a season of isolation. So get back engaged. God reveals direction. God reveals companionship. And God always reveals, thirdly, calling. He told the Apostle Paul, here's what you need to do. Here's who's going to help you do it. And then here's what your life's going to mean long term. And when you're able to see God's direction for your life, when you're able to to engage in groups and in ministry with God's companions for your life, when you're able to see God's calling for your life, you can begin to focus your way out of the storm, but not without number four. And number four is my favorite part of this Bible study today. The Apostle Paul, in order to follow God's calling for his life, had to remember his home. He had to remember his home because he had, he had been kicked out of his earthly home. God said, you've got to get out of Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. He went back 11 years later to his earthly home. They did arrest him and tried to kill him. But the apostle Paul said, that's okay because this isn't my real home. Look at Acts 22, verses 22 through 29. And then the unbelievable scriptural parallels we learn from the rest of the New Testament. So Paul is talking about the direction God gave him. Paul's talking about the companions God gave him. Paul says in 21, here's the calling God gave me. Go, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And then in verse 22, it says, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Here's my calling. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this as they stretched him out to flog him. Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man's a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. The commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized he put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So Paul was called up to answer for his calling. And Paul said, y'all need to understand before you bring me to trial, I've got rights as a Roman citizen. You can't treat me the way you want to treat me. As a Roman citizen, I have a right to a trial. As a Roman citizen, I have a right to an attorney. As a Roman citizen, I have a right not to be beaten until I've been found guilty. Paul said, you need to understand, my citizenship gives me certain rights that don't allow you to overstep your bounds in my life. Yes, I'm Jewish, Jewish, but I am a Roman citizen. And everyone kind of pulled back because Paul's citizenship gave him special rights. Now, I believe one of the reasons... Why as Christians we experience so many storms as in this, life, in this lifetime is because we weren't created for this life. I believe one of the reasons it's so difficult to live life pursuing God and seeing all His fullness on planet earth is because we were not created for planet earth. We weren't created to live in a world where people get sick and die. We weren't created to live in a world where natural disasters, the planet earth turns on people. We weren't created to live in a world with terrorism and crime. We weren't created to live in a world where there's relational tension and friction. That wasn't the world God created in Genesis 1 and 2. Sin caused it to be that way. 
And what sin has messed up, God has tried to redeem. But what we want is redemption of our soul and redemption of our world. And we can't understand why we experience difficulties in the world. But if we realize this world was not our home, we wouldn't look for perfection in this place. The anchors of this series is that we have to anchor on God because Jesus is the only thing that's not going to move on us. When everything else goes wrong, Jesus will not. When everything else moves, Jesus will not. And this works. But only if we realize we weren't created for this place and our home is not this place long term. We're going to end this series on Sunday, November 15th with the most powerful message of the entire series because we're bringing in a mother whose life was shipwrecked. And she's going to tell you how Jesus brought it back together. It's a mom named Jan Harrison who her and her husband Frank's oldest son through his teenage years and college years was really away from God. And he ended up in Africa with Franklin Graham's Samaritan's Purse organization on a mission trip. And God touched his heart over there and he called home and he said, I think, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. I think God wants me to live in Africa. I think God wants me to help pastors in Africa. And he asked his mom and dad their permission to give his heart and his life to Africa for the cause of pastors over there being equipped to spread the gospel. And they said, sure. And about a year later, Frank received a phone call from Nairobi, Kenya. I said, your son has died and he's in the morgue and we need you to come identify him. He contracted malaria and their oldest and only son died on the mission field. Frank had to get on a plane, fly to Nairobi, Kenya, identify his son, bring him home on the plane. The mom and dad had to celebrate his life and his ministry and his mission on the mission field. But then Jan as a mother, as all our moms could imagine, your oldest son, your only son, had to imagine how she was going to go on. How, how life could ever have hope, how life could ever have joy, how, how life could ever be right again when James was gone. And she said, God spoke to her and said, James is not gone, he's with me. And one day you'll be with me. And if your only hope was the time you would spend together on planet earth, you wasted that hope because you are not from there. Your soul was not created for planet earth. Your soul was created for eternity. And all the spiritual promises of life will be fulfilled in eternity. And she's going to talk about how she was able to pick up the pieces of her broken life by anchoring her soul to Jesus and the eternal life that he offers. You know, we experience so many storms in this lifetime again because we weren't created for this life. Our soul doesn't understand the things that happen in this world because they weren't supposed to happen, yet we're stuck in this world of sin with them. Listen to how the Bible describes it in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, talking about all the great saints of the Old Testament. It says these people were still living in faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. In 1 Peter 4.12, the apostle Peter said to people who were struggling through seasons of storms in their life, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery deer that's come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. You see, if you and I can remember our, our true spiritual home in the midst of our storm, that it's not here, that it's heaven, we can develop a strong perspective and we can develop unshakable faith. 
If we can remember that this sickness, like Jesus told Lazarus' sister Martha, this sickness will not result in death. Because this world is not our home and it's not all there is. If we can remember our true spiritual home in the midst of storms, we can develop strong perspective and unshakable faith. See, how do we do that? We focus on Jesus. It's all we have. We focus on Jesus. The troubles of this life won't destroy us. The troubles of this life can't define us if our anchors are not placed in the solutions of this life. Financial struggles won't destroy us because our security is never in our money. It's in Jesus. Relational tension won't crush us or keep us up at night because our most important relationship is not with an unreliable person but with a trustworthy Savior. Sickness and death won't destroy us or ruin our hope because we never counted on living forever in this lifetime anyway and Jesus gives us eternal life. Pain and hardship won't make us quit believing that Jesus loves us because we don't have the expectations that this will be the perfect life but we have the expectation we've been called and anointed the perfect life in heaven one day. The Apostle Paul said, if this world is all we have, then Christians should be pitied. People should feel sorry for Christians if this is all they have. But it's not. It's not our home. It's not our place. It's not our world. This is not the place we anchor our soul. Because it's not good enough for a soul redeemed by Jesus. But if we will anchor our soul in heaven, Jesus will never let us down. So we anchor to Jesus. Say, how do we do that? Man, we do that a lot of ways. But do you know that Jesus, one of the ways he prescribed to anchor our soul to him was an ordinance of the church called communion. When we grew up in a church, you called it the Eucharist or Holy Communion. But it's taking the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, when you think about me and anchoring to me, when you think about spending some, some time, intimate time with me, he said, here's a good way to do it. He taught his disciples the last night of his life before his crucifixion that when you eat the bread, when you drink the cup, when you take the Lord's Supper, you'll remember me. You'll remember what I did for you and you'll remember what I'm going to do for you when I come back for you. You remember that this is not your home and that you've anchored yourself in Jesus. Our ushers are going to come forward now.